year's resolutions as useless and, and self-defeating. A friend that uh, told me once that for New Year's he gave up uh, smoking and liquor and deep-fried foods. said it was the longest five minutes of his life. <laughs> That's the way I used to look at, at New Year. We make our resolutions. We make all these promises we never keep. We never intend to keep. And we just end up feeling guilty and, and defeated. So what's the point? But I've started to rethink this. You know, we go along with our lives at a frantic pace and uh, never stop to think things through, never look at where we are, where we really want to be. We go along with the same problems, the same wounds, the same confusion. Like psychologists say, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So I no longer disparage any opportunity to think things through, to look at our lives. So what I would like to do this morning is to introduce you to a chapter that I think has the greatest New Year's resolution ever, Romans 12. It's a familiar passage to many of you, uh, an old friend to some of you, but I say I want to introduce it because we're not really going to have the time this morning to get into an awful lot of it very deeply. I'll look pretty closely at the first couple of verses And then uh, we'll kind of skim from there. Look with me to Romans 12. I hope this skimming will just encourage you to come back to this passage and and, and delve more deeply. But let me just read the, the first verse. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul starts and says, I urge you, therefore, one of the first things that you want to do as you learn to study the scripture is when you run across a therefore, stop and see what it is there for. It usually is, it's always referring to something that's been said before. What Paul has just done for us in the first 11 chapters of, uh, of Romans is taken us on an incredible journey. He started in the first few chapters by using several arguments to make it absolutely clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. See, the, the, the knowledge of God is available to all of us, to everyone, but we have all turned away from it to follow our own will. And then Paul points out, that even though it is impossible, absolutely impossible for us to work our own way out of this mess, it is possible to be saved by faith, by simply trusting in what Jesus Christ has already done for us on the cross. Next major section, Paul discusses the fact that even those of us that have come to God through Christ, we still struggle. There is still... What, what Paul calls the, the pull of the flesh. There's still in our body something that is pulling us towards sin. That struggle goes on. And, and in that section we're warned that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even though we end up in that struggle uh, doing things that we don't want to do and not doing the things that we really do want to do, the loving thing. We don't do the right thing. But even then, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That God still loves us and embraces us even more. He's given us His Spirit working inside of us to free us 
from sin and the destruction that sin causes in our lives. And in the final section, what Paul does is he paints a picture of a sovereign, severe God who is not to be trifled with, who cannot tolerate unbelief, but at the same time, a God of mercy, a loving, tender God who longs to to richly bless, to richly give to those, to all those who turn to him. See, and that's the, that's the, the, the point Paul is making. He says, since we are so helpless, since we are so lost without God, since we are so helpless to, uh, in our, our struggle against the flesh without God, and since God has looked on us with such pity to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, since this is true, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, what we've just talked about, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual service of worship. That term, spiritual service of worship, in most translations, literally, it's your reasonable, your rational service of worship. It's the intelligent thing to do. When you look at how lost you are without God, how, how helpless you are against the ravishes of sin in your own life, when you look at God as He really is and see how powerful, how wise, when you, when, you, when, you, when you grasp the enormity of His goodness, to go on living for yourself and by yourself is just plain irrational. Giving yourself to God is the only sane thing to do, is the point Paul is making here. And what are we supposed to give to God? He says, to give him our bodies, offer our bodies. Now, why does he say our bodies? I mean, why does he want my body? I don't much want this body. Why does he want this old thing? I mean, this, this thing, it, it doesn't work properly. It aches. It uh, gets tired and grumpy. It has a dirty mind. It, it, it always looks for the easy way out. It always looks for comfort. You know, this body does nothing but give me trouble. Why would he want it? In fact... I just told you that before Paul had already established that our bodies are chronically and constantly pulling us back towards sin. Why does God want this old thing? Well, see, he knows that. He understands that we can't handle these bodies anymore. And that's why he wants us to turn them over to him because he can take care of it. He can handle it. We, in our efforts to handle it on our own, turn ourselves into religious fanatics. Or hypocrites uh, hiding what's really going on in our feelings and our thoughts. We abuse and misuse these bodies. But God can handle them. I'm sure mine is going to give him trouble, but he can handle it. He can take care of that. And realize he doesn't say, clean it up, trim it down, fix it up, and then give it to me. No, he wants you as is, right now. I think another reason that he wants our bodies, rather than our spirits or our souls, is because he knows our, our, our penchant for spiritualizing, for philosophizing, that, that we would, if he asked for our spirits or, and our souls, we would keep it way up here on the metaphysical plane and never get down to the real, everyday, real-life reality of this concrete flesh-and-bones body. He wants this body because he wants to express his love through this body. He wants these ears so that he can listen to people through these ears and really hear their hurts and their joys. He wants these arms to, to wrap around people. 
He, he wants this mouth to be able to speak words of encouragement or maybe rebuke or to, to explain the truth to someone. And he wants this face to smile and to, to, to welcome. He wants these hands to help build a fence or, or to write a check. See, he wants our flesh and bone and body. He wants you just as you are. That's the way he wants it. Now notice the image that Paul uses for giving our bodies to God. He says, a living and holy sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Now, the the contradiction there is intentional. What do you do with a sacrifice? How do you offer a sacrifice? You kill it. That's how you give a sacrifice. You kill it. Then it's sacrificed. Paul says we're to be a living sacrifice. Back in chapter 6, Paul said, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, and that's the way we are supposed to view ourselves, as dead people. Now, what rights does a dead person have? None. Now, what expectations can a dead person have? None. Well, what, what demands can a dead person make? None. And that's the way we're supposed to be viewing ourselves. See, this is radical stuff. Paul is not playing games with us here. What he's saying is that, that God wants you. No strings attached. The whole thing. See, we want to keep God for Sunday morning. Or keep Him as a little part of our life that we can carry around with us. Paul says, that's nuts. Give Him the whole thing. If you try to keep God as just a little part of your life, you'll continue to be destroyed by sin in your life. You'll continue to be helpless against the power of the flesh in your life. You'll be miserable and confused. See, this is the real issue here. What God wants is all of you. Give yourself to Him without reservation, with abandon. That's what we're being called to do. Now, God created you, and then He bought you back with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. So He has every right to you. But He won't just take you. Now that He's freed you, He wants you to freely give yourself to Him. It's been said the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. That's true. We keep crawling off the altar. But that's the way God wants it. He wants us to be free so that we freely give Him our bodies for Him to use. We say, God, I'm giving you control. You set the priorities. You set the goals. I belong to you now. And He promises to use us Wherever we are, to heal, to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring truth, to bring His love. He promises to love, to bless the world through your body. The big challenge, uh, the major obstacle in following through with this commitment, if you choose, if you make the decision to give your body to Him, the hard part is going to be dealing with the pressure of the world. Everybody else is going to be moving in a different direction. They're going to look at you and think you're nuts. They're going to say you're unhealthy. The pressure is going to be great. Listen to verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable 
and perfect. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. J.B. Phillips puts it, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. That's what's happening. The world wants you to think like them. The pressure is going to be great. The words are interesting here. The word for, for conform, uh, squeezing into your, its own mold, is scheme, which, which refers to a, a temporary, superficial change. And that's what the world offers. A new idea here, a new philosophy there. Every year changing, only temporary, only superficial. The only thing that stays consistent throughout is that the philosophies of the world provide a way for you on your own effort to find life by focusing on yourself and your own needs. Whether it's through materialism, trying to, trying to find satisfaction by just getting stuff. You know, if, if Christmas in America does anything, it should show the folly of that idea. You, 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 you tear through this mountain of presents, and when you've got them all sitting there, then you look around and you say, is that all? Isn't there more? There's got to be something more. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't really touch you where you are, where you need. Or maybe it's through assertiveness. The world offers assertiveness, pushing yourself, demanding what is coming to you, but ending up alone, isolated, selfish, frustrated. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a place for standing up for what is right. There is even a place for demanding that people treat us with the respect and dignity that are due the property of God, His precious possession. But that's completely different than thinking that people around you or the world owes you something. Sometimes what the world offers is, is reaching down deep inside to find that divine spark. But when you come back up, all you've got is ashes. Like I said, the pressure is going to be constant. It's always there in one way or another, pushing you to become selfish, to become bitter, to become defensive, to become jealous, judgmental. The world is trying to squeeze you into its own mold. The word, however, for transform, metamorphe, be transformed by the renewing of your mind speaks of a, of a fundamental change, a genuine, genuine change in, in the whole person, a change that's effective and, and, and lasting and profound. And this is a change that we're told that God brings about. We can't do it for ourselves. He brings it about by renewing our mind. He gives us truth, and it begins to change the way we think, so we begin to see things the way they are. We read His Word and we think about it. We gather together to study it in in growth groups or Bible studies. We come to be taught from it. And as we respond, as we ask God to begin doing His work in our lives, to begin making us more like we see Him to be in Scripture, something profound happens in our personalities, in our desires, in our outlook, in our thinking Our thinking becomes different. We view the world differently. We begin to see things as they are, as God sees them. We see God as He is. A powerful, holy, righteous, brilliant beyond comprehension, but loving, kind, generous, 
We begin to look at ourselves differently as, as wounded, as weak, as needy, but at the same time loved as God's precious possession, as empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, as His instrument, His tool to do profound and mighty things in the lives of people around us, affecting this world. We begin to look at people around us differently, view them instead of seeing them as competitors for our happiness, for our glory, for our jobs, for our parking spaces, we instead see them as real people with the same kinds of hurts and needs, feelings, desires that we have. We see them as people, individuals whom God loves and whom He intends to express His love to through us, using our bodies that we've given to Him. That's the way we begin to see the world. And the amazing thing is that as we, as we do this, as we're involved in this process, as our thinking is changed and renewed, we discover that it's fantastic. There is nothing better in life. The way Paul puts it is that, that you may prove, this is the second part of verse 2, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The term prove there means to test and find out. He says that you may test and find out that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Good can also be translated healthy. You know, we all have this suspicion that if we really give ourselves to God completely, He's going to make us unhealthy. He's going to make us imbalanced. We're going to be out there and He's going to use us up. Or, or the, the term, we discover that, it, that His will is acceptable. That's much too weak. It, it, it's pleasant. It's pleasurable. It is enriching. It is delightful, enjoyable. Not in any superficial sense, but a profoundly satisfying sense. Again, we thought that if we really give ourselves to God, it's going to be a bummer. It, it's, it, we're we're going we're to really be ripped off. We're not going to really find... Life. But see, he says, we'll discover his will is perfect or complete. We're not getting ripped off. We're not missing out on all the gusto, on all of the, the, the neat stuff, all of the fun and excitement. That can, is, is more of the lie. When we try it, when we give ourselves to God in a radical way, we discover that his will is good, it's healthy, that it's acceptable, it's, it's pleasant, it's enriching, that it is perfect. That it's complete. We don't miss out on anything. A friend of mine, a close friend of mine, tells me of the time when, when he made the decision to do what Paul is urging here, to present his body a living sacrifice. He had been uh, living a life that was focused on pleasure, doing whatever he wanted to, just whatever felt good, uh, pursuing sexual promiscuity. He'd grown up in a believing home, so he knew the truth. In fact, he even considered himself a Christian. He went to church. But he couldn't get over the thinking that if he really gave himself to God, he'd get ripped off. He'd become psychologically unhealthy. He would miss out on all the fun, all of the good stuff that life had to offer, all that sin had to offer. But one day when he was miserable, and he realized that something had to change, he made the decision. He said, God, I give up. I'm giving you my life. No strings attached. 
Whatever you do with it from here is up to you. You just make your will clear to me and I'll follow it. Again, I'm yours. No strings attached. And he tells me uh, of his amazement as he sat on the couch the next day and laughed out loud because for the first time in his life he felt healthy. He, He felt satisfied just sitting there doing nothing. But just aware of how rich how good the will of God is. Well, see, what he did is what Paul is encouraging you to do. To present your bodies a living sacrifice to God and discover for yourself that His will is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, where Paul takes us from here is to uh, um, show us how this really works together in the body. And then at the end, uh, verses 9 through 21, he'll give us a general description, a shotgun description of what it looks like to let God's love flow through us, what our lives can look like when we've presented our bodies and we've allowed him to begin to transform us. Let's just take 3 through 8 real quick. This is where I start skimming. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, do not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul starts off applying all of this to himself. He says it's only by God's grace that I can say this. You see, he realizes that it's that it, the reason that his ministry, that he has a ministry, and, and, and the reason that he can help anyone understand the truth, which is what Paul's ministry was, is that he has already given himself to God, and God is loving us through him. And Paul encourages us to have that same attitude, to realize that it's not coming from us, but it's coming through us, and that we are part of, of a body, and God is going to love each of us through each other in a different way. The picture he uses is of, of a human body with different parts, and the different parts look different, and, and they feel different, and they have different functions. And he says the same thing is true of us in the body. We all look different, and we feel different. We have different outlooks, different experiences, and we have different ways of expressing God's love to each other. That's the plan for all of us to be different. If everyone tried to do the same thing, if everyone tried to be like someone in our body, it would be chaos. It would be a mess. Sometimes I watch football games during recess at the school here. We're talking chaos, a mess. What will happen is Everybody will run downfield, but nobody wanted to hike the ball. They didn't want to be the center. So the ball sits there, and everybody runs downfield to catch the ball. Or two or three boys will be fighting over who gets to carry it, and they'll run into each other and knock each other on the ground and roll around. It's chaos. It's entertaining, but it's not the way the game was supposed to be played. It's not effective. 
And the same thing's true with us. If we try to be like other people rather than the part, the unique part God wants us to play. See, another one of the lies of the enemy is that if I really give myself to God, he's going to make me a cookie-cutter Christian, just like all the rest. I'm going to have the same stupid smile that all the rest have. I'm going to carry around the same size and color Bible that everyone else carries around and say the same silly platitudes that everybody else says. I'm going to be just like all the rest. But that isn't true. We are all radically different. Look around, you're sitting next to some different people. We are all, each of us, unique. And that is God's design. We are from different backgrounds. We have different interests, different occupations, different uh, colors, different sizes. Some people here are, are very quiet and soft. Others are loud and abrasive. Some are elegant and sophisticated. Others are are rough and coarse. We are radically different, but we all belong to the same Lord. We all have the same owner, and He is committed to loving through each of us, uniquely expressing His love through each of us. Paul begins to describe that in verse 6. He says, And since each have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Let us each exercise them accordingly. He says, be yourself. Don't try to be like somebody else. Even if you think yourself isn't that great, or it's a little shaky on the Christian side, be yourself and find out what real spiritual life is all about. If you've got the gift of prophecy, get into it. Prophesy. If you've got the gift of service, is the next one he lists, Get into enjoy serving. If you've got the gift of teaching, teach every chance you get. Don't wait for somebody to hang a sign on you that says teacher. God gave you the gift. Use it. Let him open the doors. Enjoy, delight, and turning people on to the truth. That's what God has blessed you with. Well, do it. If you're an encourager or an exhorter is is the word that's used here. Well, encourage, enjoy coming alongside people and and, and building them up. Don't try to be like somebody else. Do what comes to you, what the Spirit of God is moving you to do. Some people have the gift of giving. Now, we're we're all told to give, just like we're all told to encourage or to, to, to teach one another, to serve one another. But some people, God blesses with, with a, the ability to really profoundly minister by making their things, their physical possessions available to others or by giving money to meet needs. Well, if that's your gift, enjoy it. Delight in it. See what God will do through you. Free up. Be liberal is the way that, that Paul puts it. Or if you're a leader, do it diligently. The New English Bible says, exert yourself to lead. If you're leading a Sunday school class, well, do the hard work of preparation. Or if you're an elder, think through things. Spend time during the week, during the month, working through things and looking at the body. No matter where you're exercising leadership, consider how you can be better at it. Consider how you can build up and and develop those people who are in the ministry. If you've got the gift of mercy... 
You like to come alongside of people who are hurting. That's, that's where God is really using you effectively and powerfully. Well, do it with cheerfulness, not weighed down. Do it with freedom, knowing that God is in control, that God carries the weight, that you can just be there as his instrument to express his love to that person that's hurting. Well, this is just a partial list. It is not all the gifts, but just a few to show how God's plan is to use each of us uniquely and to uniquely express his love through each of you. That's his design. What he wants from us is to get into it, to enjoy it, to work at it, to do it, to start loving people and see what turns you on. See what you seem to be good at. See what seems to affect other people. Try some things out. Experiment. But don't hold back. Give yourself a living sacrifice. Let God use you powerfully, profoundly, and discover that his will is good and acceptable and perfect. This last section, 9 through 21, we are going to genuinely skate Uh, There's a lot of verses, and so I will end up just reading some of these lines, but some I'll elaborate on. Really, this is what your new year can look like if you give yourself a living sacrifice. This is what it looks like, no matter who you are, to express God's love. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't play games. Be sincere. Really seek the other (coughs) person's (laughs) best. Don't seek what you can get out of them, but seek what's best for them. He says, abhor evil. That may sound kind of nose-in-the-air, self-righteous, but it's not. When we see evil for what is, the word here means malignant or, or, or rotten, sick, virulent. See, sin kills, it destroys, and when we see that, our hatred of it comes out of our compassion for the people we see being messed up by it. And, and our hatred comes from what we see of the destructions it, it's already wreaked in our own lives. Cling to what is good. Literally, be united to what is good. Be united to what is good. Embrace it. Encourage it wherever you see it, in whomever you see it, whatever small spark, fan it into a flame. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You see, we are a family. You can't choose your family. You were born into it. I'm sure you all have relatives that are hard to get along with, but they're still your relative. Same is true of the people sitting next to you. You're sitting next to your brother or to your sister. We are devoted. We are to be devoted to one another because we are family. We are related. It says, give preference to each other in honor. Talk other people up. Sing each other's praises. Don't try to grab the glory for yourself. Give it away. He says, not lagging behind in diligence. Don't sit back and expect somebody else to take care of the need. Don't assume somebody else will handle it. You know, in a church this size, it is a chronic problem. When a need comes up, we assume, look at all these people, somebody else will take care of it. Instead of starting with the the question, is this something God wants me to take care of? Now, you can't meet all of the needs that you see. And as you grow more spiritually mature, you see more and more needs. You don't have the time and resources. But you can ask that question, is this one God wants me to meet? 
It's just fervent in spirit. That literally means boiling in spirit. Letting the Holy Spirit bubble over. Fill you so much that He's flowing out. Let Him loose in you. Serving the Lord. Throw yourself into it. That's what you're here for. Rejoicing in hope. Let your hope that someday you'll be free from sin and its sadness. That someday you'll see your Lord face to face. Let that hope keep you joyful. Persevering in tribulation. Staying tough in tough situations. Now there's nothing wrong with getting out of difficult situations if there's a way available. But never at the cost of what is right. Never in compromise to what you know God would have you to do. It says, uh, where am I? Devoted to prayer. Literally um, adhering to prayer. Sticking to it. Sticking with it, not giving up on it. I'm sure when all is revealed, it will be those prayer warriors that will be shown to have loved the most. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Giving your money. Practicing hospitality. The word there is a a stranger lover. Being a stranger lover. Loving people that you don't even know. Missionaries who who you don't really know, but you know have needs for encouragement. Write them a letter or, or, or opening your home to someone in need, giving a ride to that person in distress, being friendly to the clerk behind the counter, loving people you don't even know. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. I spent uh, an evening while I was in the Middle East with a group of people who had just, as we were there, found out that they had been betrayed to the secret police. And we, had been, we were at the time studying through Romans 12. And we were at this verse. And as we talked about it and prayed about it, several began to pray for the couple who had betrayed them, began to talk among themselves of how horrible it must be to have turned on your friends and turned away from your Lord like that. I, I saw in an extreme case the peace and the joy that comes from doing what we have the opportunity to do every day in our, in our work, in our school, in our families. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and curse not. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Really listen to people. Hear their joys. Hear their sorrows. Let their lives touch you. Be of the same mind toward each other. That doesn't mean agree on everything. My goodness, we couldn't get more than uh, one person to agree on much, much of anything around here. But it means be of the same attitude toward each other. Uh, an attitude of love and of respect. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. It feels good to be around the rich and famous. It feels good to be with the life of the party. It makes you feel important. But your importance comes from the fact that you belong to God. Look for, seek out those who are uncomfortable, who don't fit in. Look for those people. Never pay back evil for evil. We'll see this again in the last statement. But two wrongs don't make a right. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. This doesn't mean you try to please everybody. You can't do that. But you consider others' opinions. You don't just dismiss it out of hand. There's often a, a kernel of, of wisdom hidden in even the most contrary opinions. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. 
He says, as far as it depends on you. With some people, they won't have it. You can't be at peace with them. But you can go a long ways in extending forgiveness, a long ways in, in, in admitting your own wrong. Go as far as you can go. He says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. What Paul is saying is don't take your own revenge. Don't try to get even. Leave it to God. He promises to take care of it. See, I don't think, if, if God hadn't promised to do that, I don't think we could stand to not get even. Our, our drive, our hunger for justice is so strong. But God is trustworthy. He says he's keeping score and he'll settle the score. And that frees us to ignore the score and just love. That's a real freedom. We are free to love. And finally, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the bottom line of this entire discussion of of how to, to deal with people who are hurting you. If you start to act evilly in response to them, evil wins. You've been overcome. But if you realize that by God's grace, by God's power, you can outlove any evil, no matter what they do to you, then good will have the victory. Well, like I said, that was uh, a shotgun, and I hope I didn't uh, sprain any brains uh, I don't expect you to retain any of that. I hope what this does is stimulates you to come back to it, though, and reread it and think about it. You know, again, this is the time for no- looking at the New Year's, for, for New Year's resolutions. And let me encourage you, don't settle for any puny little list of exercise more, eat less, write more letters, be good to myself. Those are great things. Do them if you want to. But this year, really go for it. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a holy and living sacrifice, which is pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and healthy, which is acceptable, pleasant, enriching, which is perfect, complete, which is the way God wants us to experience real life. Well, let's pray. Lord God, we uh, do want to begin to think through where we are, where we really want to be. Lord, we do want to look at you, to see you as you are, and look at ourselves and see our need, see how helpless, see how lost we are without you, and, and face into your incredible goodness. Lord, if we, when we do that, we can't have any other response but to give ourselves to you completely, no strings attached. I pray for uh, the rest of today, as, as people think through this, Lord, by your Spirit, move in hearts, draw us to give ourselves in this radical way to you, that we might discover that your will is good and acceptable and perfect. 
pray this in your son's name who made all of this possible. Amen.